All right, let's go ahead and grab a seat. We're going to get started. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to turn with me to Joshua chapter 4. Joshua chapter 4. And we're going we're gonna to start here in Joshua 4, and, and we actually won't be there too long. Uh, but it's going to lay some important groundwork for us as we eventually move to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we're going to end up in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 because today, as a body, we are partaking in one of the two ordinances that God has given to the New Testament church, and that's the Lord's Supper. So we're t- taking a, a week to focus on this. We'll be back in our study of the book of 2 Corinthians next Sunday, so be sure and, and come back for that as we start uh, into, into chapter 3. And I think, if anything, it's a great time to take a a short break based upon what we've learned and heard these last two Sundays uh, out of 2 Corinthians chapter 2. So it seems like a perfect time uh, to talk about the Lord's Supper. But like I said, we're going to start in Joshua because I want to take you to the Lord's Supper through a memorial service that we see in this Old Testament book. And I think it's important because the Lord's Supper stands in line with other memorials that we find in the Bible. The obvious Old Testament memorial that is connected to the New Testament Lord's Supper is the Passover. We've talked about that before. But in Exodus chapter 12, verse 14, says, And this day, speaking of Passover, shall be unto you for a memorial. And you shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. So when the Jew would have that annual Passover meal, they would do it as a remembrance of that night in Egypt when they put the blood over the doorpost of their homes and God passed over. He did not bring judgment on that home because they were, there was innocent blood of a lamb that covered it. And so that Passover meal was to remember that. They remembered every year when they celebrated it that they, they looked back and said, yes, God delivered us by the blood of the lamb from underneath his judgment. And we know that according to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, that Christ is our Passover. He was our Passover lamb. And the Lord's Supper that we'll be partaking in together today is a memorial to that glorious, that same glorious fact. That he passed over us, God delivered us by the blood of the lamb from underneath his judgment. And now we don't have time to go through all the memorials, but, but, but memorials in the Bible are, you know, not surprisingly very important. They're very important to the Lord, and additionally, whether you know this or not, memorials are also very important to the people in which they are targeted. And they are important in that they are necessary reminders to keep our own relationship with the Lord in check. That's what memorials are set up to do. That they bring to the forefront of our minds things we should not forget And you know, as well as I do, that we're all prone to forgetfulness as we move through this life. Seems like the older I get, the more prone to forgetfulness, uh, those things seem to go hand in hand. Well, God knows it too. In fact, he knows it so well that through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he led Peter to say, there are certain things that God's people don't need to be taught, they just need to be reminded in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, Peter says, Wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them 
I don't need to teach it to you. I've already taught it to you. You know this. Though you know them and be established in the present truth. You know them, you're established in them. Yeah, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. Peter said, there are things that you know. There are things that we all know. So I, I don't need to even teach you this anymore. But I do need to remind you. And that's what memorials are about. And because of the beautiful consistency in God's Word and the importance of biblical memorials, when we study them, we, we see a pattern emerge that, that gives us what's the title of, of the sermon that I put together today, and that's the message of the memorial. A pattern emerges when you look at memorials that, that lead us to, to the message that comes out of them. And we see this pattern in our initial text this morning. That's why I wanted to bring you here. And in Joshua chapter 4, the nation of Israel, they, they stand at the edge of the Jordan River. They're finally ready to claim the inheritance that had been promised to them centuries earlier. We know that after that Passover, after Israel escaped Egypt, that they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years due to their lack of faith in the Word of God. It was 40 tough years of complaining and murmuring and just surviving. They were eating the same thing day after day, very tough circumstances. It was both physically and spiritually a time of wandering, a time of isolation. And they lived out the very practical fulfillment of Proverbs 13, 15 that says, Good understanding giveth favor, but the way of transgressors is hard. The way of transgressors is hard, man. And we see that in our lives at times. When we transgress against God's word and against God's way. And it just makes life hard. And Israel lived that out. Their way was hard. There was no doubt about it. But as we arrive to our text this morning, they're standing on Jordan's banks, getting ready to go in, into Jericho and take that land, and God is going to do what he had promised them and take them into the promised land. And in Joshua chapter 4, starting at verse 1, we'll read down through verse 7. The Bible says, And it came to pass, when all the people were clean, passed over Jordan, and the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Take you twelve men out of the people, out of every man a tribe, and command ye them, saying, Take you hence out of the midst of Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm, twelve stones, and shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where we shall lodge this night. That's at Gilgal. It's a few miles away, actually. It says, And Joshua called the twelve men whom he had prepared of the children of Israel out of every tribe a man. Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of Jordan, and take ye up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of tribes of the children of Israel. And this may be a sign among you, that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean ye by these stones? And ye shall answer them, that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over Jordan, the waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll get into our study. Lord, we love you. Uh, we're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for the time we have in it together. We're so thankful for what we come to do today uh, to memorialize um, your sacrifice for us. Lord, I pray that, that we do that in a way that's honoring to you. I pray that what's said today is true to your word. I pray that, Lord, we look at our lives 
um, and, and see where we fall short in order that we get that right. Lord, I, just, I, I pray for, for this body that, that this just brings us together even more as it's, as it's intended to do, uh, a unifying element uh, of the church. And so, Lord, I just pray for that today. Uh, as we commit all this to you this time, uh, our time together. Lord, we ask you to bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I, I told you just a second ago, I want to take you to the Lord's Supper through this memorial in Joshua. And so, you know, they're, they're getting ready to, to, I mean, actually in chapter 3 they go in, and this is sort of the recounting, and, and uh, they cross the Jordan. And so God does this miraculous thing. He did this, the same thing he did at the Red Sea. And he parts the waters for them to go on through. And, and he tells them to go back and grab stones for a memorial. And like I said, this, this memorial lays out the pattern that we see in other memorials. And I'm, I'm going to take you to the Lord's Supper through it. But before we get into the details of how it all relates to the Lord's Supper, I want to show you the pattern. And with respect to the pattern, the first thing we see is that memorials require preparation. Memorials require preparation. Look back at, at Joshua chapter 4 and verse 4 again. It says, and Joshua called the twelve men whom he had prepared of the children of Israel out of every tribe of man. So he, he calls twelve men and he had prepared these men to, to take the stones. These were, these were men that were getting ready to partake in the memorial. And the Bible says they had to be prepared. And that preparation process included the following the very specific command that Joshua laid out in verse 3. It was going back to where the priests stood firm in the Jordan River. And so that's how they crossed over. Instead of having, you know, Moses, when it was the Red Sea, he had Moses with the ark. Well, here at Jordan, he had the priests go and stand. And when they put their feet in the water, you can see this in chapter 3, the water spread. And he says, go back very specifically to where those men, those priests, where their feet stood. And you need to pick up some rocks that are there. And those priests stood firm. And, and, and so those were the, that was the command that they had to follow. But, what I, what I, but that's what I want you to get. I don't want you to get into the details so much. They don't matter as much for our purposes today. What matters is that their preparation included following a command. And that's the first piece of the pattern. I told you, we're going to move through Joshua pretty quick. Um, so so that's, that's number one. Memorials require preparation. But then second, we see that memorials have a purpose. This comes as no surprise. But the purpose here is described in verses 6 and 7. And it's to remind themselves and the generation to come of all the amazing things that the Lord did for them. Look at verse 6. So why are they doing it? That this may be a sign among you that when your children ask. So it's among you and it's when your children ask. When the children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean ye by these stones? Then ye shall answer them that the waters of Jordan were cut off. They were, they were split. They were separated. Before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, when it passed over Jordan, the waters of Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be for a memorial under the children of Israel forever. Like Peter said in, in the verses that we already read, there are some things that we just can't ever forget. We can never forget them. And those things are so important 
that God tells us to memorialize them. And listen, if it's that big of a deal to God, then it ought to be that big of a deal to us. And we're not, we're not even talking about the Lord's Supper yet, but I'll, I'll go ahead and say this now. Because what I don't understand, those that have been believers for a while, for a long time even, and still won't prioritize the Lord's Supper. Because at best, at best that shows a lack of spiritual maturity and a lack of understanding of God's Word. Or at worst, it shows a willful disregard for God's desires in your life. And neither one of those are great, I have to be honest with you. But I also understand there are new believers. There are people that, that don't understand. They don't, they don't know what they don't know. And if you don't know, that's okay. That's okay. But learn today. Learn today. I'm going to try to show you the importance today. And learn it today. Come away from this service with an appreciation and an understanding of the importance of the Lord's Supper. God gives the church two ordinances they're vitally important to the health and life of the church. So learn the purpose of the memorials, and it's to keep in our hearts and minds what God has done. And then third, the last piece of the pattern is that memorials include a proclamation. You see, there is something that the memorial proclaims to the world. And in our story in Joshua chapter 4, we see that proclamation down at the end of the chapter. Look at verse 21. He's kind of recounting this again. And he spake unto the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean these stones? Then ye shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until you were passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us until we were gone over. And look at verse 24, that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that ye might fear the Lord your God forever. So this memorial proclaimed, that's what the phrase, that all the people of the earth might know. It proclaimed that the Lord is mighty and that he is to be feared. You see, there is a message to be delivered to everyone through the memorial, to all the people of the earth. And this is the pattern. Memorials require preparation. Memorials have a distinct purpose. And memorials include a proclamation. There's a message that they are to deliver. And it, when it comes to the Lord's Supper or, or communion, it's no different. Like I said, the Lord's Supper stands in line with the other biblical memorials that we see. And the pattern is very important because you have to understand it. You have to understand how this pattern applies to our memorial, our ordinance of communion, to get out of it all that God intends. So let me show you. And in accordance with the pattern, the first aspect of communion is preparation. There is something we should do today in the present to properly prepare ourselves to partake at the Lord's table. And so when it comes to the Lord's Supper, the preparation is to reflect. You see, today is a day we need to reflect 
on our spiritual life. And we need to do that in a couple different ways. First of all, we need to reflect on our sin. Speaking about the Lord's Supper, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 and 28. He says, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. You see, the Bible is clear that the Lord's Supper is not to be taken casually or carelessly. That's why every single person in this room, including myself, before we take the bread or the cup, we need to seriously ask the question, do we realize what's happening here? Do we understand what's going on? Have we prepared ourselves properly by reflecting on our own sin? Have we examined ourselves? Because I want to point out that in accordance with the pattern, this preparation, this examination is a command. And so there's nothing casual about that. There's nothing casual about a command. This is not another Christian routine that we go through so we can check off a box. Well, this is to be used for serious reflection. We are to look at the cross and the reality of the cross. And as we look at the cross, we shouldn't just see something that doesn't really relate to us. We need to see, what we need to see on that cross is our sin upon him. You see, typically, we see the cross as something done for us. And, and praise the Lord, it absolutely was. But today, we need to see the cross as something done by us. It was your sin that put him there. It was my sin that put him there. That's what caused the horror that is represented by the, bloody, the body and the blood on the cross. And it's that that we need to be reflecting on today. And not just our sin in general, but our sins in specific. Because it's also the things that we have said this past week. It's the thoughts that, that we've had that are not pure. It is the unbiblical actions we've taken. It's the bitterness we've felt. It's the gossip. It's what we need to reflect upon. Or as Paul says, that is how we examine ourselves. And then we take action if we need to. If you haven't done that already, you need to get it right with the Lord. Because if you don't, you are in danger of partaking this ordinance unworthily. According to verse 27 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And unworthily isn't unworthy we've talked about this before because while we are all unworthy in ourself anyone who is in Christ by being saved by Christ has been made worthy by Christ so every Christian is worthy but you can take you can take the Lord's Supper unworthily if you haven't prepared yourself if you haven't examined yourself the word examine literally means to qualify oneself. So you qualify yourself to partake. So what that means 
is you handle your sin honestly. You call it what God calls it. And then you bring it to God and you let him cleanse your conscience with the word of God according to 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1. Having therefore these promises, his word, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all the filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And we see a great example of that in David in Psalm 51. And this is the, the psalm that he's dealing with his sin with Bathsheba. By the way, Psalm 51 is one of the seven uh, penitential psalms. They're called penitential psalms. That's, that's where we get our word repentance. Um, so these are great psalms. These are seven psalms of just confession and repentance. So these, those seven psalms are, are great psalms to go through and, and pray through when you're dealing with a time of confession and repentance. But in Psalm 51, verse 3, David says, For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. That's an examination. And he's being honest. He's calling, what, he's calling his sin what God calls it. It's a transgression of the law. And then David tells us what to do with it down in verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. You see, when you reflect on things that are wrong in your life, when you admit to God that they are wrong, then you've qualified yourself. You've honestly examined yourself. And you're, you've prepared yourself. And Paul says to that person, so let him eat. That's what you're supposed to do. You see, God pays no attention to surface imperfections. And, and praise the Lord, by the way, man. He didn't care about that. What he cares about is a heart that does not lie. It does not lie to you. You don't lie to yourself. It doesn't lie to him. It doesn't lie to anyone else. It's a heart that's willing to put away a wrong spirit, admit a wrong decision, correct a wrong action. That's why this ordinance is the purifying element of the church. And it's so important. Actually, both ordinances are equally important on this front. They serve such important roles in keeping the purity and unity within the body. Because baptism guards the front door. It guards who gets in to membership of the church. And the Lord's Supper protects the ongoing membership. After you're in, the Lord's Supper protects the ongoing membership. Because members shouldn't be able to harbor private sins or sins against each other for very long. That's why we do it three or four times a year. There's no specific command to how often to do it in the Bible. But we do it on a regular basis. We do it three or four times a year so that you can't go more than three or four months without dealing with the sin in your life or with the sin against others. So in that way, if everyone, if we all do our part, if we view this ordinance the way God views it and do what we're supposed to do and we prepare ourselves properly, the Lord's Supper will protect the unity of this church. And listen, unity, especially amongst Christians, is something that seems to be in short supply today. I mean, what we see in our environment is polarization. Of people and so you know I think Jeff mentioned this last week if you're if you're if you were conservative now you're more conservative 
If you were liberal, now you're more liberal. Because what we see in, in and listen, it's just, just the devil's plan. And he's just sitting back and laughing. He is enjoying every second of it as he sees the church just chew its people apart. And so we just see that this polarization and to think that we as the church are immune is foolish. We're not immune. And we see it more and more every day. It doesn't matter the issue. I mean, masks are just the current one. And it doesn't matter the issue. But man, shame on us if we allow the devil to do what he is intending to do. This ordinance should keep it from happening. It should protect the unity of this body. This is the answer. And it should allow us to work together in unity for the common mission that we have in Christ. I mean, that's what it's about. We get caught up in all these other things that aren't important. And we lose our, our common mission that we have together in Christ. And so when we're so focused on the stuff out there, you know what we don't do? The mission. That's what Paul's talking about in the previous chapter, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, verses 16 and 17. He said, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. And the picture being painted here is a body gathered together, sharing in the bread of life together sharing their identity in Christ with each other and their commitment to one another. And now to carry out this picture, you know, many cultures around the world, um, other denominations here will share from one loaf of bread and one common cup when doing communion, you know, as an expression of unity. I, I think Craig told me when 640 was around, maybe they did that, like they had a loaf of bread and tore off a chunk and dipped it in the one thing, a grape juice. We ain't doing that. No. <laughs> Don't worry. COVID or not, man. I don't need you up in my business that way. That's for sure. But listen, we are a body. We are a family. And so we should be unified. That means if there's a brother or sister in this family of faith that you harbor bitterness towards, or if there's any barrier between you and them, you should deal with it. And I know that practically, maybe you can't deal with it before we, you know, eat and drink here in just a few minutes. But what you can do, if you haven't done it already, is give it to the Lord. And commit to dealing with it as soon as practically possible. Like I said, I think the last two Sundays, as we went through 2 Corinthians chapter 2, it prepared us for this as well as anything could. So I hope you were listening to those. I hope you were applying those. Because at the bottom line, we don't want to be guilty of partaking unworthily. I mean, Paul said that's, that's why some were sickly and sleep amongst you. I mean, you know, that, that's what the Bible said. And sleep is death, a physical death in that context. The picture in this ordinance is unity with Christ and unity with, with each other. And we don't want to mess up the picture. Man, there are a lot of pictures that God gives us. And, and, and we do our best to mess them up, mess up the pictures, man. Husbands, wives, all, you know, all these pictures, Christ and the church. This is another one. And we should do all that we can not to mess up the picture. God takes those things seriously. 
But let's, and so we do that by preparing. We do that by examining ourselves. And we reflect on our relationship with the Lord. We reflect on our relationship with others. And where things are amiss, we commit to getting them right. But listen, here's the beauty of reflection. Because when you do it, and when you prepare yourself biblically, because while you start with reflecting on your sin and the seriousness of it, and what it did to the Savior on Calvary's cross, you don't stop there. Because you also reflect on His sacrifice. And that's why the Lord's Supper is so special. You see, as your sins are brought to the forefront and you deal with them, what happens in the Lord's Supper and this picture of the body and the blood of Christ is that Jesus takes those sins and in our hearts he reminds us they're covered. Sin comes to the front, covered. You recall a sin from this last week, you admit it, you get it right, and then as a child of God, it is covered. That's the promise that we have because of his sacrifice. And just think of it. All the sins from across this room, for those who are in Christ, covered. All the hurtful words, all the bitterness in our hearts, every single thing that we have done that is dishonoring to God, disobedient to God, infinitely offensive to God, covered, covered, covered. He covered it all. And again, that doesn't mean we don't have a responsibility to confess our sins to him and to cleanse ourselves, according to 2 Corinthians 7.1, to restore fellowship. We absolutely do. That's the preparation. Don't skip over that first part. That's our preparation process. So we need to do our part. But listen, he's already done his. And I want you to notice the order of this reflection. Because you have to reflect on your sins first. To really be able to see the beauty of his sacrifice. So as we reflect on him, he reminds us, you are mine. And you are bought with a price and you are mine. And as we reflect and partake in the Lord's Supper, we understand that we are feasting on his promises, on his forgiveness, on his faithfulness. How precious this reflection ought to be. Because listen to me now, this is why the Lord's Supper, and we'll get to this more here in a minute, but this is why the Lord's Supper is just for the believers in this room. It is only for believers because the reality is, if you have not trusted in Christ to cover your sins, then you have nothing to feast on. You're not covered. If you've not trusted in the blood of Christ to cover your sins, then you stand guilty before a holy God and you stand under his judgment and deserving of his judgment and if the blood of the lamb doesn't cover you then he won't pass you by and so you need to know today of all days that placing your trust in Christ is necessary for salvation if you don't know him I urge you to do that today because I do not want you to think that participating in a religious ceremony, which is all it is, I mean, it's more than that, but, but for this purpose, 
It's a ceremony, and it doesn't cover your sins. I don't want you thinking that it does. No, we participate in the Lord's Supper because we are remembering, we are reflecting on Him and what He has done. And feasting on the fact that we are His. So you have to know the feast does not make you His. It's just a memorial for those that are already His. And that memorial requires preparation. A personal reflection on your sin. And on Jesus' sacrifice. But not only does it require a preparation, it also has a purpose. And so secondly, the purpose is to remember. This is the same thing that we saw in Joshua. You see, foundationally, it's what this whole thing's about. Foundationally, the Lord's Supper is about remembering. That is the purpose of this ordinance. And back in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we see that in verse 24. The thing that Paul emphasizes is the exact same thing that Jesus emphasized with his disciples. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. You can see the actual account of that last supper uh, Jesus had with his disciples where he said those very words to him. You can see it in Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22. But the emphasis is, do this do in remembrance of me. That's the purpose of what we're doing today. So when we take the bread here in a few minutes, we remember the body of Jesus. We remember the fact that God committed the ultimate act of humility and took a, a robe of human flesh upon himself. He became a man, he suffered, and he died in a body. Paul said that as we take the bread, we should remember that he was broken for us. And when he says that, he's not talking about Jesus' bones during the crucifixion. Because no bones of his were broken. John 19, verse 33 and 36 says, But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. Verse 36, For these things were done, that the scripture should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. So Jesus' bones weren't broken, but do you know what was? His will. In his selflessness, he allowed his own will to be broken and conform to his Father's will. Matthew 26, 39, he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. The Bible says that Jesus fell on his face. He put himself in a position of humility before the Lord. That's the selflessness we need to remember. And in the picture, Jesus' bones weren't broken on the cross, but, but the bread is broken so that we can all partake in him together. Because he broke his will for you and for me. That's a selflessness that we need to remember. It's a selflessness that we need to emulate. You know, too many times we come to, to, to God with, with our list of wants and our list of desires. And we do not break our will before him accepting what he has for us. We come expecting instead of accepting. And we expect him to meet our demands instead of just, just understanding who he is and, and who we are. So we remember the body of Jesus. But we also remember the blood of Jesus. And when you take the cup, remember that his blood was shed on the cross for you and for me. 
And once you accept that blood sacrifice for your sins, you know that his blood is rinsed over your hearts to cleanse you from the guilt before Almighty God. But not only that, it now gives you access to him. It inaugurates a new covenant, or as Luke puts it in Luke 22, and also Paul in this text, a new testament with the Lord. And listen, this aspect is so important because the Lord's Supper is not about channeling It's not about imagining, it's not about dreaming, it's not even about meditating. It is about fixing your thoughts on a focus point in history, on a real body that was given, on a real body that was beaten, that was scourged, that was spit upon, that was nailed to a cross, and real blood that flowed from that body on that cross. We fix our thoughts on that reality. We remember. And as I said, this aspect is so important because it sets the proper stage for authentic worship of God. And I say that because true biblical worship is not about us. It's not about how you feel. It's not about the blessings you receive. I mean, true biblical worship is about Him. He's he's worthy to receive it. It's about the glory that he can then get from us. You see, we're never called to remember ourselves. We're called to obey that we might remember him. You need to look back and remember when his blood was shed to bear the wrath of God against sin. When his body was given as a sacrifice on your behalf. His body was given for us. We need to fix our thoughts on that. Fix our thoughts on the cross this morning. We need to remember a real crucifixion and a real body and a real bloodshed. That's how you remember. That's what you remember. And you remember the sacrifice that it is. But there's one more thing. Because for those of us who are his, this Lord's Supper also involves a proclamation. So lastly... The proclamation is about renewal. It's about renewal. Because every time we take the Lord's Supper, it ought to be a time that we renew our commitment to Christ. And we renew our commitment to each other in this body. So that we can focus on His mission. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six 26 says, For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till He come. That is the proclamation, and that's the mission. Showing the Lord's death till he come. That's exactly what we do every time we take the Lord's Supper. There are a few things I want to make note of in this verse as it relates to our renewal. First, this renewal involves showing the world your commitment to Christ. You see, the Lord's Supper is not just eating and drinking. The Lord's Supper is showing. We show and we proclaim in doing this and partaking of this. We show and we proclaim that Jesus died so that repentance and forgiveness of sin could be shown to all nations. We want to show this to everyone that we come in contact with. That forgiveness of sins is available if you'll just repent and place your faith in Him. So this is a renewal to our commitment to the mission. We're proclaiming the Lord's death. We're giving testimony of the gospel. 
until he comes. So you need to think of it in those terms. This is my renewal. As I take part in this Lord's Supper, I'm renewing my commitment to go show that to the world. He died for me, and he died for you too. Commit to going and showing that. And secondly, this renewal involves rejoicing in Christ. So we're to rejoice, rejoice because he has set us free. Like we talked about earlier, the whole picture in the Passover, the Jews were slaves in Egypt. That Passover night, God delivered them out of slavery. After that, Pharaoh let them go free. They were no longer slaves in Egypt. And in Christ, we are no longer slaves to sin. It's a beautiful picture that we memorialize today. At this remembrance and reflection, this time of renewal, is a celebration that we too have been set free. And this is what, how we see the, the dichotomy of the Lord's Supper. Because we approach the Lord's Supper in light of it being a very solemn and a, a very serious thing. And a very heavy time as we contemplate our sin, as we examine ourselves. It's a time of reflection. It's a time of confession, contemplation of the cross. Very serious stuff. And that's all true. However, I, I do want you to know this morning that we're not at a funeral because he's not dead anymore. So as we partake in the Lord's Supper, yes, we seriously contemplate our personal relationship with the Lord. And any sins that we have, we bring to the forefront to get it right. But we also reflect on his promises. And we realize that for those of us and in Christ, we're not in Egypt anymore. So don't go back there. Don't make yourself slave to something that no longer has, has rule over you. We've been set free from sin. You're no longer a slave to it. So we don't need to walk out of the Lord's Supper feeling all down and depressed and gloomy. We can walk out of the Lord's Supper with smiles on our face because we're not slaves. We're sons. And praise the Lord for that. Just make sure you examine yourself and you do what you need to do. And then you can walk out rejoicing in the fact that you are a child of God. That's why this is about renewal. As we renew our commitment to Christ, we can be renewed in our, our spirit as we rejoice in Christ. And then third, this renewal involves anticipation. We're to show the Lord's death till he comes. You see, we observe the Lord's Supper in the midst of history. But we do so with an eye to the end of history. And our Lord's return. This is our great hope as Christians. As a Christ who was born in Bethlehem, crucified on Calvary, raised on that first Easter morning, is coming again. That means there's a time limitation on this ordinance. We do it until he comes back to get us. And we can do it looking forward to being in person with him at that marriage supper of the Lamb. So we break the bread and we drink the cup in anticipation. He's coming back for us. That's why the Lord's Supper is so significant in our worship. Because it is an essential component of the new covenant we have with him. And part of that covenant is he's coming back to get us one day. And Paul reminds us what Jesus said. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you memorialize what Jesus has done. You memorialize all that he did for us until he comes, man. Until he comes back to get us. And then we won't need to memorialize it anymore. Because we'll be with him. Now as we transition to actually partaking in this ordinance, I want to make it personal. 
uh, because this ordinance of the church, it provides us, like I said, it's the purifying element, and it provides us great opportunity for victory in the Christian life and walk. Because as Paul said in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight, 28, it's a time to look within. It's a time to examine our, our consecration. Examine yourself for unrepentant sin and confess it. For any problem with another brother or sister, resolve to get it right. Look within yourself and give God what he deserves with your life. So let me give you some instructions as, before we observe this ordinance. Because we're a New Testament church, we try to stick as close as we can to the scriptures. That way you can receive the Lord's Supper just like the earth's earliest uh, Christians did. So some churches practice what is called closed communion. Their observance of the Lord's Supper is limited to those who are actually members at that church. We practice what we call close communion. What that means is that every person here who is a member of a church somewhere and is a good standing with that church is eligible to partake with us today. So everyone in here, both adults and children, what that means is first... You saw that you were a sinner. You decided to trust Jesus for eternal life. And so you prayed and asked God to save you. Second, you were scripturally baptized after you got saved by immersion. And third, you're old enough to understand, and understand enough to examine yourself in the faith. If you meet those three requirements, then you're welcome to partake in this communion with us. And now let me say, I've, I've had folks ask me the question about that second requirement with respect to baptism. Does someone really need to be baptized to take part? Isn't being saved enough? And, and I mention that now because it's a valid question. And at the end of the day, this is truly a matter of conscience between you and the Lord, so I want to make that clear. But I include it, and it's been included in, in you know, baptistic polity uh, for many, many years, because of what baptism is and because of what baptism represents. And what it is, is the first act of obedience. So if someone, particularly a, a young child that is saved but hasn't been baptized yet, therefore not taken part in that first act of obedience, and, and that's okay because kids understand at their own time and their own, 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 you know, their own growth process. But if they haven't got to that point to the, where they understand the importance of that act of obedience... I think it's at least questionable whether they're able to meet the third requirement, which is to be able to examine themselves in the faith. And then beyond that, it's included because of what baptism pictures. And water baptism pictures our entrance into the body of Christ through the spiritual baptism of the Holy Ghost. That's all made clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That's a different message. But at your spiritual baptism, you are made part of the body of Christ even if you don't feel it, because that's what the Bible says. Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 and 27 says, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And again, that should bring to life for you the importance of water baptism as part of the requirements for the Lord's Supper. Because in the same way the spiritual baptism gets you into the body of Christ, water baptism gets you into the local assembly. So to have spirit baptism without water baptism is a failure to picture to the local body your position in the ideal universal body. And so that's what makes it on my requirement list. But, but listen, this, you know, this is not something that you're going to pull from Scripture. It's, it's, it's tradition and pictures and those sorts of things. So 
with your own, you have your own, if you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit inside you, and you have your own conscience before the Lord. So make your own decision before the Lord. If you can honestly examine yourself, make your own decision uh, with respect to partaking of the Lord's Supper. I will say, though, if you don't meet those requirements, if you've not been saved, then this ordinance isn't for you. And I tried to describe that for you earlier. And if you take it anyway, nothing will happen. But that's the point. Nothing will happen. Because it doesn't have the significance for you that's intended. But if you're saved, then this is the ordinance Jesus uses to get us to remember and to reflect and to renew the fact that we are feeding on him. Wayne, would you have the, you and the praise team come on back up? We're going we're gonna to get ready uh, to partake in this together in just a second. But again, this gives us a time to reflect and renew on the fact that we're feeding on him. That we need to live our life in his sufficiency. That we are alive by his life. Because in order to be saved, we had to accept him. We had to receive him into our heart. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And being born again is a matter of an exchange of life. Christ was the substitutionary atonement for you. And that's just a fancy term that means he died, it means he died in your place. You were guilty and he took that guilt for you. But to be born again, you have to accept his substitution. It is a matter of applying the free offer of God by faith. And as we perform this ordinance, we remember that. We remember all that God has done for us. And I trust that, that you've already prepared yourself. And if not, you're getting ready to prepare yourself. But as we, that last point, I want you to consider how this is your opportunity to show it. To show and to proclaim. Because as we come to the Lord's table, you get to do that proudly and boldly. That it's your love for him and how much you love him because all he has done for you. That's how you show the Lord's death, as it says in verse 26. And so we're going to do that as a family together. You have some disposable cups that you'll find in the pew uh, right in front of you. So there should be plenty. Um, we also have some guys that are going to pass some out, maybe out in the, in the balcony um, or, or down here. So, so you guys can go ahead and do that. Um, start, start passing those out. Yeah, the praise team can, can grab theirs. Um, feel free to remove your mask, too. I never thought that's a sentence I would have in a sermon, but 2020 is going to 2020. I don't know what else to say, man. Um, but you can, you can take the, the, the cover off this. I'm going to do it, and I'm going to spill it probably. But don't eat it yet, but go ahead and... Go ahead and take it off, and you'll find a, a wafer there. And I'll tell you when to eat um, so we can partake of the bread and juice as one to express our unity together in Christ. But, but right now, we're going to take a second and we're going to pause because this is your time of personal examination and personal confession. So if you haven't prepared yourself, now is the time. I'll give you a few minutes before we partake. Christ, the bread of life, broken for us, not on the cross, but broken as he conformed to his will, 
conformed to his Father's will, and broken as we observe this ordinance as a church together. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four says, And when he had given thanks, he break it. He said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Now with the broken bread in our hands, let us take and eat. The cup pictures the blood of Jesus shed for our sins. Revelation 1.5 says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. So if you already know the spiritual reality of the cleansing of your sins, you can now picture it physically by drinking this cup. Luke 22.20 says, Likewise also Jesus took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. So through the cup, through the shedding of Jesus' blood, a new covenant was established where we can have a personal relationship with God. And it's a relationship that's available to all because he shed his blood for all. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five. 25, And after the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Now with this cup in our hands, drink ye all of it. The ordinance has been done as the Lord commanded. You can put the plasticware back in the pew in front of you. That we'll, we'll get those thrown away later. You know, in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 30, immediately following that last supper, the Bible says that Jesus uh, and his disciples sang a hymn and then went out into Mount Olives. And so there's no better way than today, there's no better day than today, and there's no better way to close than with one last song. We do it every week, uh, every Sunday, but there's no better Sunday to do it than today. And as we close, I just have to say, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you've never made him the Lord of your life, I urge you to consider doing that today. All you have to do is pray and ask him to become the Lord of your life. If you have questions about that, man, come see us afterwards. We'd love to talk to you about that. But for now, let's all stand. Let's worship the Lord together one last time.